Macworld Podcast number 351 for April 17th, 2013. Welcome back to another Macworld Podcast. I'm senior editor Dan Morin, and I'm joined by senior writer Lex Friedman. Hi, Dan. How are you? I'm doing well, Lex. How are you? I am really good. A little jet lag, maybe, but really good. Yeah, well, I wanted to ask you about that because now uh, for the last, what, not quite a week, you were there for, what, three or four days? Half you were days. In, in Dublin, Ireland at a conference, which, and my Gaelic's a little rusty, so, ool? Ool. They do say, ool. they do okay. pronounce it ool. And by the way, I've learned that in Ireland, the Irish tend to refer to it as Ireland. So, yes, that's where I was. Wow. That's uh, it's very... I'm a world traveler. Thoughtful of you. Ool, as um, it turns out, is... Uh, is uh, Gaelic, I guess, is the Gaelic, Gaelic term yeah. for apple. Interesting. See, I did not know that. I only learned that while I was there. So I assume it was some sort of organic fruit conference. Yeah, we were talking mostly about uh, p- uh, pink lady apples and red delicious apples. No Fujis? No. We, no. We, don't, no we don't go with Fujis. No? No Granny Smith? Well, Granny Smith, actually, Dan, I'll tell you the truth. I've been lying. There were no fruit apples other than in a display basket at the hotel. Well, I'm a little disappointed, I have to say, in you and in the Ool Conference. The actual focus of the Ool Conference, which you can you know, find their website at ool.ie, uh, it's, a, it's a conference for folks who like Apple Inc., so it's really for iOS and OS X developers and designers. So not ink made from apples, you're telling me? Correct. Apple okay. Incorporated. A lot of potentials for confusion here. Yeah, it's just, it's rampant. So I I think th- this is not the first of this type of conference. We've seen a lot of these in in the last several years, these sort of smaller. How many people were at Ool? Uh, I believe it was in the neighborhood of 180 people plus about 20 or so speakers. So that's, I mean, that's pretty large as these things go. I've, I think you and I have both been to a couple of the other smaller conferences like Singleton up in Montreal, which I think this year was around, or this past year was around, what we said, about 150? Yeah. Somewhere around there. And in uh, previous years, I've been to a number of smaller ones, including uh, Second Conf in Chicago, which was much smaller. I would say that was more like 70 or 80 people. Uh, And the late lamented C4, which was also in Chicago and sort of kicked off, I think, uh, to a large degree, this trend. Um, But there are some other ones out there, too. I think there's one called NSConf. Yep. Which is also up in Canada, I believe. I believe there's also an NSConf Mini that's a smaller version that happens somewhere else during the year. Uh, in May, I'm going to Australia for the One More Thing conference. But, you know, it's <laughs> there are a lot, like you said, and the general rule is that people go to them and always say they're phenomenal. <laughs> so they're all good. They're, there are many and they're all great. That I, I would agree from my experiences. Um, now, now I'm, I'm interested in this because, and granted, you know, we're talking largely for four people and two people, I think, who are very interested in Apple as a community. I don't hear about this stuff as much on the on the, say, the Windows side, for example, I think there are certainly a lot of open source enthusiasts who might, uh, you might see something like this similar for Linux or something like that, as that have these dedicated enthusiast communities. But this seems pretty uh, pretty unusual and and largely associated with the Apple community. And I'm, and I'm curious about why, if you have any thoughts about why that might be. You know, it's it's a very good question. <laughs> Um, and I think some of the talks at Ool uh, focused in some ways on that topic, uh, looking at the fact that the Apple 
fan base initially had, and I think, you know, Cable Sasser wrote about this mentality on our site recently, but uh, for a long time, folks who were fans of Apple were, were, you know, very, there were very few of us and we clung together. The reason I think that people look at Apple as a cult today could be because, you know, wrongly, but could be because uh, we were also dedicated to Apple back in the day when there were, you know, it seemed like 50 of us in the known universe who were Apple fans and who were telling everybody else they were crazy not to be buying Macs. And I think that the fact that, I think there's two pieces at work here. The fact that many of us came out of that era where we had to connect with other Mac users because otherwise we didn't know what to talk to anybody about. And then B, whatever it is that made us love Apple then is still making newcomers love Apple now. There's just more of them. But whatever that is, that makes us appreciate things that are fun and a delight to use and all that, is a uh, finding that stuff appealing is a tie that binds. It's a, it's a thing that many of us can connect to each other on. Well, it makes you want to talk to other people who are enthusiastic about the same thing. Exactly. And I mean, there's also the piece that you and I know lots and lots of interesting people in the Apple community, but we don't live near them. So these conferences are always an excuse to go see those people in person. Right. I mean, in the past, I know, you know, it's been limited in some ways to Macworld in the early part of the year and WWDC, which is coming up in the summer. We hope. Um, we, we hope. We think. Fingers crossed. Well, I mean, and it's interesting particularly to me to contrast this to WWDC. A lot of these smaller conferences do tend to be focused on developer concerns and developer issues. They tend to be largely attended by developers. Um, And, I mean, we should, you know, obviously make it clear for those listening who are not familiar with it. There's no formal Apple presence at any of these conferences, right? It's, you know, there there occasionally might be uh, the odd Apple employee trying to fly under the radar. But in most cases, we're talking about independent developers who work in small shops of, you know, somewhere between one and 50 or so. Um, so they tend to be, you know, we tend to see a lot of technical stuff, which it seems like has, you know, is a realm that was previously filled by WWDC. Um, but this is a very different, these are all very different types of events from something like that. And, you know, WWDC, uh, although, I mean, I've been in San Francisco for WWDC and I have attended some events at WWDC. I've never seen any of the actual for developer content, but it's my understanding that those lectures and talks that folks can attend are really a multi-track, meaning you've got to pick which classes you want to go to because there's multiple sessions at any given time. And B, they are really, if not hands-on, which I bet they often are, very detailed and code-specific and like, here is how to use this piece of core OS technology. Whereas many of these other conferences, even when they're targeting developers, uh, you know, you might get one or three talks that are saying, you know, here is how I'm using this specific piece of technology, or here's a way to think about some element of the API that you haven't normally given thought to. But more of them, and this was definitely true at Ool, where I just was, more of them are kind of on the, I don't want to say inspirational front, because that seems a little bit hokey, but they're a little bit higher level, meaning that they're not getting down and dirty in code. It's like, here's how to approach your thinking about this element of your business, or here's a way to think about user interface in a way that you haven't been thinking before, or here's how to deal with clients, that sort of thing. Right. I mean, and, and you and I have both spoken at these types of conferences, usually on things that are not very technical because that's not our area of expertise. Right. And, you know, uh, you should talk about our our talk that we gave at uh, Singleton last year, last October. In Indeed. Yeah. Like we, we, gave a, we gave a joint talk on Apple and how we felt that this is very similar in some ways, I think, to the piece that Cable wrote for our site, which was talking about Apple getting increasingly large and whether it was becoming 
too big in some ways and too much of a monolithic presence and wielding too much power. Uh, and I think that was well received. Someday there might be a video of it available online, but yeah. not yet, apparently. They like to save each year at Singleton. They save Dan Warren's video till last to release online. Very last. But uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think our point there was, you know, as Apple grows, there are downsides to being big. And we talked about some of the impacts that it had on developers since they were there. Um, so at this at Ool, my topic was learning from Apple's mistakes and so it was lessons for developers based on looking at mistakes that Apple's made and then how Apple responded, sometimes in ways that I said were, you know, good and sometimes in ways that I said were less good. Um, you know, for one example, when I said yes to at the very top, I said, you know, to answer the obvious question, yes, Apple does make mistakes. My first slide was a giant picture of the hockey puck mouse. A classic. Yes, a classic Apple misstep, shall we say. And my point there being, you know, at the time, this was not the the era of iOS where Apple was able to release hardware at seemingly whatever interval it felt like. That mouse lived for less than two years. Came out in 1998, was replaced in 2000 by the Apple Pro mouse, which was a more traditional oblong shape. But that, you know, was a, a very clear, in my mind, mea culpa, not unlike in much more recent eras, uh, maps. Apple put out maps, and then first they tried to say, you know, uh, yeah, it's bad, but just keep using it, and it'll get better. And then eventually they amended that response to say, in the meantime, feel free to use, you know, Google or Microsoft or Nokia. And not, oh, I, did, I told developers clearly, I'm not suggesting that small independent developers should say, hey, if you don't like my product, go use my competitors until I fix it. But being able to say, you're right, there's a problem, I'm aware of it, and I'm working on it, that's a good thing to be able to do. That was my lesson in that one. And I, you know, I, I think despite the fact that uh, the developers are very, there's a lot of techno savvy and a lot of, you know, centrism on these, the technology itself. I, I think these events are an opportunity to really talk about and delve into what makes us fans of the community, especially because this is a, a gathering of the community in some ways. And so it's an, it's a good time uh, to talk about why it is that we have such affinity for Apple and what the you some you know unique nature of that relationship is. Um, so, in my experience, I've had I've had really good reception um, chatting with people there about this sort of thing. That's it strikes me as they always uh, end up being because they're very largely social, introspective to a certain extent. Like there's a lot of people who end up taking away something that they can sort of chew over from that. But right. Um, one thing that I've seen that I really like at these is, you know, I, I have to say I enjoy the one track stuff where you don't have to feel like, oh, no, am I going to miss out on talk A because I want to attend talk B? You know, none of that at the conferences that you and I have gone to together, um, I guess, with the exception of Macworld, iWorld, which is enormous. But um, you, you quite often see people leave and either because they're telling you or because they're tweeting about it or because they're hunched over their laptop, they've heard or seen something that gets them inspired and they want to do something right now. And they're like, oh, that was such a good idea. That gives me such a good idea for a feature or something. And so people just want to start working on that. I like that. And then I also like seeing various members of our community uh, either showing their ability to have restraint when there are open bars or their ability to get extremely intoxicated when there are open bars. I'm not going to name any names, but you know exactly who I'm thinking of. Well, I, I was going to say more from a perspective of uh, the the relationship with Apple, which we touched on a little bit earlier in terms of there not being an official connection. I think there's a, a large benefit to that from these smaller 
gatherings because when you look at something like WWDC, there's a lot of frustration with the way that Apple has managed it, especially as you know a lot of people have heard getting to WWDC, despite the fact that it's a very very large event with you know thousands of people. Um, tickets go really fast, and people have a hard time snapping them up. So having situations like this means that uh, you know events like this means that there's other chances you're not locked into simply what apple is offering in terms of you know getting together with people and learning things um and you know i think like you're saying the single track offering part of it certainly uh, means that there's uh, more it's in some ways that there's more absorption of what's going on rather than running around and, and in between all these different courses, there's an opportunity to really sit down and focus on something. It's right. it's very much, it's very much an iOS to Mac OS. Maybe you can make that <laughs> analogy of it's like you're focused on one task at a time, as opposed to jumping all over the place. Yeah. And I'll, you know, the hokey thing that people say about these conferences and they say it because I think it's true is that the best part really is the people. And in some ways that means, you know, there's fascinating speakers and then you get to meet those speakers. You know, I only ever first met John Gruber at a Mac tech conference of some sort. I guess it was probably a Mac world. Um, but, you know, you read somebody like him for years and then you can go meet these people. Um, and then there's also just other folks who you don't know, who's maybe whose names you haven't heard of from the community. And then you get to interact with them and realize, wow, these are really interesting people building cool apps you haven't heard of. I spent way more money on apps in Ireland than I had expected because people were talking about cool apps they had built. And I'll also say, you know, one of their speakers, the guy who spoke right before me at Wool was uh, Don Melton, uh, the the man at Apple who built Safari back in the day. Um, he headed the Safari team, I guess is the way to say it. And first he gave a talk where he talked about, you know, very cool information about the building of Safari and how they did it and why they did it and that sort of thing. And then I gave my talk about learning from Apple's mistakes. And then right afterwards, Don makes a beeline for me. And he's like, Lex, find me later when there's another break. And I'm going to tell you exactly why we made mistake X, Y, and Z. And then he did later. And I'm like, can I write about that at Macworld? And he said, no, you may not. <laughs> yeah. There, I mean, there is a lot of chance to learn about things that are oftentimes, I mean, I think we get a accused of sometimes having a bit of an inside baseball community in terms of the personalities therein. Um, there are some people who are very distinctive. And I think, you know, like you said, being able to actually go and interact with those people, as opposed to just having that one way, you're going to read what they put out there, or you're going to use their programs, um, I think is a, is a advantage of these smaller things. And it's, it's something that's kind of unwieldy at an event the size of WWDC or Macworld. Um, but I think I'm I'm very curious about the fact that this seems to be so so unique to our community. I mean, I'm just thinking even outside of you know the big sort of you know platforms. There's not a lot. I don't, I don't see anything like that. Like Google, for example, who is or Facebook, who are increasingly powerful tech companies. There's there's you don't see this kind of affinity for them as a platform certainly they have users and people who are uh, enthused about their products but there's not a lot of like there's not a group of people really getting together and talking about how much they love working with google or, right. or using google's products right i mean and i think you know if you some of it to me is if you look at what apple does they touch on so many different things that you can have uh, a, maybe a broader audience than just developers who develop using facebook's tools but when you look at a competitor like google i mean they certainly have a an ios an analogous thing with Android, but folks are not lining up to host Android conferences. And if they are, we're not hearing about them. 
Um, but you'd think that somebody, you know, on the tech hive side of the fence would have mentioned something about some of these developer run, developer attended conferences. And I, I think you're right. It's it is it is very interesting that they're not happening. And I mean, I think there probably are a handful, but I think they are far less common and sparsely attended and, and not a thing. And it's it's tricky to figure out exactly why that is. Other than, you know, Apple's doing incredibly well, which certainly helps. You know, there's a lot of people using iPhones and Macs these days, as we all know. Um, many of us are using multiple of them right now at the same time. Um, I need one but, per hand is my policy. <laughs> uh, how do you I'm interested to know in particular at Ool, and, you know, we've talked about this, I think, somewhat at other at other uh, conferences and when we're discussing other conferences, what was the breakdown for you guys in terms of talking about, say, iOS-related stuff versus Mac-related stuff versus stuff that applies to sort of equally to both or many of Apple's products? This was a conference that was, you know, that's really trying to appeal to both, you know, iOS and OS X. So most of the information applied to both. There were some developers who spoke who were pretty specifically iOS developers, and so their talks, unsurprisingly, skewed much more iOS-specific, uh, but there weren't many of those. Um, and then, you know, there were some, some of the more hands-on ones. You know, there was a, a guy, Steve Smith, who's from GitHub, and he was talking about how he develops GitHub for Mac, or how he designs GitHub for Mac, really, which he does entirely using WebKit Inspector. So he builds a, a facelift of the app in CSS, and then he edits the CSS code on the fly and has a clickable, usable version of the app that's built in JavaScript and HTML, um, but that he can very quickly tweak without using things like Interface Builder. Um, but then many of them, you know, uh, many folks were talking really just about the development process in general and how to analyze things. Uh, Charles Perry uh, was there and he talked about accessibility on iOS, really talking about how he heard from a blind user who was like, I love your app, and he felt so proud of himself. But here are three features in it that I wish I could use and I can't use because they don't work with voiceover. And then he realized, man, I'm not catering to blind users. And, you know, he laid out a pretty compelling case. Here are how many millions of people have visual impairments. And here's how many of them are using iPhones. And here's how many more customers you can have if your app works for them and your competitor's app don't. Um, but I would say that of the ones that were platform specific, there were probably like two that were really iOS specific and two that were really Mac specific and everything else was a little bit more general and applied to all development. You know, Dan, let's take a break for a moment to acknowledge this episode's fine, fine sponsor. As you may know, this episode of the Macworld podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, uh, a company that offers extremely simple web hosting and it's great for uh, Mac and iOS users too. So you sign up for Squarespace, you get a free domain name, you get a drag and drop controllable website, you pick any of their customizable templates, you can tweak it as much as you'd like. If you want to put photos on your website, you drag them from your Mac onto the Safari window and then boom, it's uploaded to your website. If you want to tweak things, you drag them around and tweak them as easy as you can be. Uh, this websites that you build are going to look great on Macs, but they're also going to look great on PCs and iPhones and iPads, and they optimize themselves automatically to look the best they can on each of those devices. Uh, it really is dead simple to use, and I, uh, uh, I, I think that the, the best thing about Squarespace, besides the fact that it is super easy to use, is the fact that you can go to squarespace.com slash Macworld right now 
and you get a free trial. And it's a truly free trial. You don't have to put in your credit card information or anything else. It's just a free trial with no commitment involved. And after you've experimented with Squarespace and you love it so much and you're ready to sign up, if you put in Macworld 4 as your offer code under pricing during the checkout process, with Macworld 4 as your offer code, you get 10% off when you sign up for a year worth of hosting. Uh, so it's a cool service. Check them out, squarespace.com slash Macworld. Enter that offer code Macworld4. And uh, there's no doubt in my mind, Dan, that anyone who listens to that offer and takes us, takes us up on it will be very, very happy. Well, we talked about WWC a little bit, but I, I want to sort of shift gears and, and focus on that a little more at this point because I think there's a lot of a lot of questions about it coming up this year um, in terms of is it going to happen? What kind of stuff we're going to see, if anything? I mean, it's been a very uh, a very quiet year for Apple so far. Yeah, I mean, um, if, if they don't have lots of announcements planned for WWDC, I'll be pretty surprised. <laughs> yeah, it would be quite a, quite a year if we showed up and they were just like, well, we think everything's going pretty well. We're just going to keep doing what we're doing. And then they give a presentation about all the mistakes they've made. Yes. Um. I think these, you know, something like WWC, which has been around for a, a very long time, um, I think that it provides an interesting perspective. You know, we talked about the fact that the smaller conferences don't have this official Apple presence. And of course, WWC is largely, you know, it's run by Apple. It's largely about coming and seeing what Apple is doing. Um, I, you know, I'm curious if that is something that is less necessary now. I mean, obviously the show and dance part of it, which is a very small part of it, is great for the press and the public and all that. You know, people want to know what Apple's working on. I mean, everybody wants to know that kind of stuff. But, you know, we, then we have a week-long conference, um, which a lot of which is, you know, very technical stuff. And a lot of this stuff is available online or these days they, you know, put out videos of them pretty quickly. Um, and, you know, with a, with a crowd where we can't get, you know, everybody who wants to go can't necessarily attend. Have we started to hit the point where something like this is not as important as it was when you were really trying to drum up interest in a platform or is it you still know, a necessity? So I think the question is, is it a necessity for whom? I think from the developer's perspective, I think you'd hear a huge outcry if Apple canceled it. Because sure. the thing that developers like, and the reason there's such a clamoring to get tickets, um, is because they can talk to the engineers at Apple who build these tools who should know the exact answers. You know, They can always talk to somebody who can say, hey, here's a better way to do what you're doing, or who can give them one-on-one -on -one help. Here's how to solve this challenge you're facing with our APIs, stuff like that. So I feel like, you know, the videos are very helpful to folks who can't get tickets, but the developers who go, I think go, um, I would say that my, the vast majority of developers who attend do so not just for the people aspect first, but primarily because they want to get that hands-on time with Apple's engineers. Um, in terms of whether it's important for Apple. I mean, we saw to, 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 you know, compare, we saw Apple pull out of Macworld Expo because at a point it, it didn't think that was useful anymore. Um, I've heard suggestions over the years that perhaps, you know, multiple smaller developer conferences run by Apple might be an advantage over one monolithic large conference. Uh, maybe not for me. I mean, and of course, Apple does a lot of its press work now at small events that are specifically designed to be related to, you know, announcing things to the press as opposed to you know, an audience full of developers. Right. I think that Apple has to change how it does WWDC for sure. I, my expectation is that this year there's going to be some kind of lottery system or some kind of advanced warning so that you can have some prep 
ahead of time. I, I don't think they're just going to say, whatever time we launch it, now go get your tickets. I think at the my my hope, which I think is going to be the seemingly fairest way to do it, is that Apple will say, okay, we've opened it up to requesting tickets, and we will pick X hundred people at random or X thousand people at random by this time. So make sure you put your name on the list by then. That's at least a tiny bit fairer than first come, first serve at whatever time of day we randomly post it on our website. Although equally, I'm sure frustrating for those who really feel like they want that hands-on, you know, one-on-one time. (laughs) And I think that there's a part of it that, you know, makes me wonder if there's a larger issue at stake there, right? Which is the terms of they, they want that because the ability to talk with those engineers is such a controlled, rarefied thing. Whereas, you know, perhaps if Apple as a company were a little more communicative about certain things, it would not be as much of an issue. So doesn't Apple do something though? Doesn't Apple do some kind of tour? Yeah, they do. They do tech talks occasionally, but they don't. Uh, I'm not sure when the last ones were. Do they run them last year? They run. I th- think it happened in 2012. Their day long conferences run at Apple stores, I believe, uh, around the world. Which is, I mean, certainly nice if you can't make it to... Oh, these were not at Apple stores. These were at much fancier places. Oh, we're, um, minus... uh, I'm just... No, you're fine, though. Don't worry. But I'm just saying, you know, they did them recently. They were at, uh, like, the Millennium Broadway Hotel Times Square in New York, at the Austin Convention Center in Austin, Texas. There, I think there was a point at which they used to be at Apple stores back when they had sort of... The Apple stores had theaters and things like that. Right. We've but... outgrown that, I guess. Well, again, as we're talking about, WWC spells out so quickly. These things go equally fast. These are, I believe, free as well, as long as you're a uh, developer, associate developer. Right. Um, and I think that the, you know, it's interesting that uh, that's a great opportunity. It may not prevent present exactly the kinds of situations that you can get at WWDC, but right. it certainly seems to be an attempt to fill in that niche, especially internationally, because there's a lot of people who can't make that trip or can't afford to make that trip. And it's, you know, I don't think this is an easy problem to solve. Sometimes you look at Apple's problems, you're like, this solution here is really obvious. But with something like WWDC, it's an event that, I mean, they charge a lot to attend, but I imagine, I can't imagine Apple's making much money on WWDC, if anything, because you're losing developer hours for all the engineers who they have there and they have I think they usually say it's something like a thousand engineers on hand from Apple it's a lot they've they know they rent out a convention center and they host all the people and feed them and bring in special guests and all that stuff so I'm imagining at best it's break even um and you know but what do we want Apple to do they can't have them year round they can't host an event that large and at that scale year round I think because it would be a money losing time sucking operation um and if you say well you know if a key thing is that folks want to be able to get hands-on help from Apple developers all the time. <laughs> I don't think they can offer a, you know, a get two helpline calls per month to all of their developers because there are so many developers who's going to handle all those, you know, who's going to do that year-round hand-holding. Right. So I think that's in large part uh, the a key benefit of these third-party conferences that keep sprouting up. I think it's a way for developers to get in contact with each other in person and go over ideas and exchange approaches that they're using. I remember at Singleton, I believe it was Brad Ellis, gave a talk uh, about figuring out color palettes. And he had built a little tool using uh, Quartz Composer to Mm -hmm. let developers and designers really quickly figure out what colors work together well when you're building an interface for an app. And... 
a lot of folks I heard, even now today, who are still just seeing his video, because I know that Singleton posted that one somewhere recently, look at that and say, hey, I never thought of that. That's really interesting. And, you know, having conferences where developers can exchange ideas that they do and don't think are unique, but let other people hear them and build on them and figure stuff out together. It's it's collaboration, right? Since we can't all work in one giant hall together. Um not yet. Not until Apple builds right. its spaceship campus, then we can all get right. on board. But so these conferences give you a chance to, many of these people are working out of their homes. Many of these people are working in small offices, but getting all those people together in one room so they can swap ideas and insights and tips and tricks. I, I mean, it makes a ton of sense. And I guess that must be at least a piece of what the the motivation behind some of these conferences, right? Is to let people exchange those ideas without having to go to DubDub. Now, do you think there's a benefit of this to consumers or to the average user i mean i don't know if it's just a matter of directly to you know consumers i'm I'm not sure there's much one i i think for my part it occurs to me that building right off what you just said about developers learning a lot for each other it means that they improve their products and that we as people who use apps get to reap those benefits because sure. now our apps look better and work better and can do more things um but now if you they really th- listen well at some of those talks though they're also getting told that they should charge more for their apps so Potential short-term downside. Yeah, well, you know, that's that's people got to make thing. a living. It's a good people thing. Got to make a living. You know that I support people paying more for their apps. I, you know, I do. I know that you would like to pay upwards of seventy dollars for every iOS app that you buy, just because. If Apple you let can. me overpay, I would. Yes. There's a, there, there we go. There's a there's a suggestion for you, Apple. That's what we would hear at WWDC: the ability to overpay. Well, it's pretty easy. Just give your kids your phone and leave right. it unlocked and they'll, they'll rack up that cost for you. But no, so as for a consumer benefit, I mean, you talk about an event like Macworld slash iWorld slash Q World. I made up that last part. But if you talk about those, it make, those are events that developers and customers go to alike, right? Just end users go to alike because there are, uh, you know, well, Macworld's got the show floor where everybody can see all sorts of cool things. And then there's talks that range from super technical to, you know, here's how to get more out of your device or software or whatever. Um, I, I'm Certainly, I would, you know, I don't think either of us is saying, hey, typical consumer who does not develop, go to the next UI con for right. whatever. Because it's it's not meant for consumers. It's meant for developers. But, I mean... I think there definitely is benefit because I, you know, there were folks who were showing off some really incredible software, some of which is out and some of which isn't at Ool. And you had, you know, you have six great developers sitting around a table at breakfast looking at this guy's app. This is before the talks have even started that day. And, you know, one developer's like, hey, you know what you should do? You should add this feature. And the developer's like, there's no way to do that. And then this other guy's like, well, actually, here's what you could do. You do, do, do. And so now they're, they're giving each other ideas because, you know, they're not competitive. They're competitive because they want people to buy their apps in the app store, but these weren't apps that were competing against one another. But so they're giving each other ideas and then implementation suggestions. And what that, all that means is, you know, like you were saying, you get better apps. And I think that uh, it's hard to complain about getting better apps, Dan. <laughs> I mean, you'd think so. But yet the public always manages to find a way to do that. Taking a page from your talk at Ool, I was wondering if you had any suggestions for these smaller conferences. What could be done better? It's a great question, which I say to you every time you ask me something as I stall and think of an answer. The truth is, um, you know, I still haven't, I don't have, I feel like I have so many under my belt, but between ones like Singleton and Ool that I've been to a couple of times, um, the one thing that I've noticed is that. Developers, as a rule, are not always the most 
social folk. They're not always the most outgoing and well, you know, well adapted to socializing. That's a gross generalization, and it's certainly not always true, but it's still a common problem, I guess, because folks are used to staring at their computers all day as they make them do things. Um, so one thing I've sort of noticed is that there are, and as in any kind of social gathering, you do see some cliques that start to form. And you see that there are folks who've known each other for a long time and folks who haven't as much, (laughs) who are newer and still trying to find ways into the community. And one problem that I think we have is that a lot of the time the idea is, well, let's get some social lubricant in the form of open bars and let's put all these folks in a room and they'll all hang out together. Uh, And that can work. But those situations tend to be so loud and hectic and crowded that people can't always make the rounds. They can't talk to a whole lot of people at once. And if folks have already sort of met up with groups they know, it gets harder for folks to penetrate those social walls. The the solution, obviously, in some ways is, you know, folks have to just get even braver and more comfortable out going up to folks. But I do think that there is a downside to having all of the social or, or having the, the primary socialization at these events be let's all go to a noisy drinking area and drink together. So, you know, for me, I'd love, let's do a lunch together. And to its credit, Ool did just that. And, you know, let's, let's have some quieter situations where we have time to schmooze. Cause you know, a lot of the best networking that I did see happening would be in between talks. So, you know, you have a five minute downtime between one talk and the next or a nine minute break between one talk and the next. And then people are just bumming each other. Hey, aren't you so-and-so or, Hey, let me show you this cool thing that I've built. And finding ways to foster more of that kind of moment in a lower key setting or a less hectic slash noisy setting, I think is important. That's, that's one thing that jumps out to me. One thing that these conferences should not change though, is hosting themselves in very cool places and offering very good food. I like those two elements of these conferences a lot. And I think that's probably the big reason that, that, you know, everybody should go for the good food and the great places. Can't really go wrong with that. And I think we're uh, just about out of time. So I'd like to thank my guest, senior writer Lex Friedman. Well, I'd like to thank my host, senior editor Dan Morin. Well, I'd like to thank you for thanking me. And to forestall this infinite loop, I'd like to thank all of you for listening. We'll see you next time. 